Welcome to the Leadership Activators podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is Carol Issa. I'm a former sound engineer turned professional coach for leaders and entrepreneurs. I truly believe that it's so important to surround yourself with resourceful minds, and it takes just one idea to create massive change in your life. With each episode, I bring you a special guest or message to help you enable the leader in you and live life on your terms. I trust that you'll enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being you. If you are looking to start your own business or are already in business and want to take your leadership skills to a whole new level, join me in the Leadership Activators Facebook group and be part of an amazing community of like-minded professionals from around the world who are also on a mission to building more confidence so they can have more influence and create more impact. Hello everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today for our new episode in the Leadership Activators podcast. I'm so looking forward to this conversation today, I'm pumped. I have a very special guest and it's Jackson Milan. Jackson, also known as the Wealth Mentor, has spent the last 14 years helping service business owners understand the language of money and manufacture financial freedom for themselves and their families. He has successfully helped over a thousand clients build in excess of $1.5 billion in combined wealth and has scaled multiple seven-figure businesses. He is a master of helping business owners make money work for them and turn their business profit into personal wealth. Thank you so much, Jackson, for joining me into this conversation today. It's great to see you and have you with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Awesome. So, so Jackson, I'm very curious about the name of your business. So it's Aureus Financial. Is this how you pronounce it? Correct. You nailed it. Most people mess it up, but you've, uh, you've done it justice, which is great. Cool. Um, so what's the story behind the name? What does it mean? Yeah, so Aureus was actually the currency, uh, the gold coins used at the peak of the Roman Empire. And we did a little bit of a play on words. So my business partner and I both have uh, Italian heritage uh, and uh, we, we kind of obviously that goes back to the Roman Empire. And the idea is that we wanted to create something that was a little bit of a, I guess, a, 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 a fun take on traditional financial services and um, being uh, gold, being, I guess, the kind of the, the, uh, the, the idea behind creating wealth. And uh, our, our logo is a bull, which is representative of bull markets. However, with uh, our branding and everything we do is not very financial services because we try and position ourselves as being very different uh, to the status quo. Wow. So you're challenging the status quo, which is awesome. Love it. So what drives you to do day in, day out? I got into this space because of my parents. And most people, when they look at me, they say, Jackson, you don't look like a typical finance guy. And I'm not. Um, my parents were business owners. My mum was a hairdresser. She tried very hard to create a successful salon. My old man was a bit of a jack of all trades. He tried his hand at lots of different businesses, but he was more of a dreamer than an entrepreneur. And he was always chasing the next million dollar idea and never sticking to thing long enough to be successful. But they always tried to teach me good values. They said, Jackson, if you want to be successful in this world, you need to work hard for it. And this is coming from people who worked 16 hour days for as long as I could remember. But as a curious kid, I realized something was missing, something was wrong, that they didn't have anything to show for their, their hard work. And it's because they were working for money as opposed to money working for them. So when I left school, I decided that I wanted to try and create a catalyst for change. And I started training to be a financial advisor. 
And when I got my first role as a trainee advisor, I was working in a business called the Financial Advice Center, and it was absolutely shocking. It was the polar opposite of what I thought financial advice was. I thought I'd be helping people like my parents make life-changing decisions that would guide them to create financial freedom, but I was surrounded by hundreds of people that were on a floor, a call center floor, that were selling commission-based products to people like my parents who didn't need them. And I nearly threw in the towel. It was a toxic environment, and I absolutely hated it. And I had this fleeting moment of giving up. But then I also had this fleeting moment to say, well, okay, what would this look like if I did it the way that I wanted to do it? And I decided to very quickly bin the term financial advisor and don the term wealth coach and actually do what I thought I would be doing is teaching business owners like my parents the language of money so they could create financial freedom. And I've been able to do that successfully with thousands and help them build over $1.5 billion in combined wealth. And I've been able to scale a number of multi-seven-figure businesses in the process. So uh, that's, that's what drives me. Love to hear that. What's the vision for your business? We want to be the number one go-to resource for wealth education for entrepreneurs in the world. Because I'm a big believer that the entrepreneurial spirit has gone on a tangent. Most entrepreneurs get into business because they want to create freedom and flexibility. However, very quickly, they become disheartened and they get taken off track and they end up just creating a job for themselves because that's what they've been conditioned to do over their entire life. We've been conditioned by the system to fuel the machine, to be worker ants. And the problem here is that most business owners, the vast majority of them, do not actually create financial freedom. They do the complete opposite. They end up creating reliance on trading time for money in order to provide for their family, and it's a vicious cycle. So my fundamental belief is that if I can help business owners use their business as a means to create financial freedom, then we can create true generational wealth. And then we can help the future generations work in projects and things that this world really needs that are going to make a meaningful difference for hopefully thousands of years to come, hopefully millions of years to come, as opposed to people being stuck in this cycle of having to work because they need money and because they have to. Beautiful. I love that. It was actually one of my questions and I love how is it that you beautifully went there. And I was about to quote you saying that and I absolutely love how is it that you summarized so in a great way. Um, most of entrepreneurs' journey when they are quitting their nine to five and they end up just getting hired in another job for themselves. Yeah. So what's your approach when it comes to positioning a business as a vehicle for wealth? And I'm quoting you here. I'm using your own terms. Yeah, I think the problem that we have here, Carol, is that for most business owners, they get stuck in this technician role. And that is driven by self-limiting beliefs. As an employee... And really, let's face it, for our entire lifetimes, we are measured by perfection. We are measured to impossible standards. Um, and when we get into entrepreneurship, we need to unlearn all of those behaviors because entrepreneurship is about failing fast. And most people are so fearful of failure that they tentatively kind of move around in the areas that they know. And it's getting comfortable being uncomfortable is where growth and success lives. And that's the, the fundamental reason why most entrepreneurs never get there. The second thing is that we live and breathe our business. We're passionate about our business and we love our business. We spend so much time, effort, energy, blood, sweat and tears to create our business that we lose sight of its true purpose. We treat it like a baby. Like I even hear business owners calling their business their baby. 
But let's put that into perspective for a second here, Carol. What is a baby? A baby is a being that is completely reliant on you for survival. You can't leave it unattended. You need to feed it. It can't change itself. It can't clean itself. Is that what you want your business to be? No, that's not freedom. So uh, babies are great, but when it comes to your business, it's not supposed to be your baby. It's supposed to be a Maserati. It's supposed to be a Ferrari. It's supposed to be a Bugatti. It's supposed to be a supercharged entity to fast track your way to true financial freedom because we've only got to look at every rich list in the world. And as a business owner, you are in an elite club of the wealthiest individuals on this planet. But there's this huge disparity in wealth for that mindset reason for the fact that they stuck trading time for money and the fact that they haven't actually defined the true destination, not the number of clients, not the number of the amount of revenue, but the amount of profit and in turn, the amount of wealth that I need as a business owner for me to be able to live life on my own terms. And those are the problems that we solve every day for our clients. It's great. How is it that you summarize it in such a like straight to the point way? And uh, which brings me to my next question, because you, you, you spoke about, you touched a bit on the fact that entrepreneurs always are comparing themselves to impossible standards, like things that are way too high up there. And it makes it so much harder for them to start progressing. And they're always looking maybe for perfection or looking at overnight successes, yeah. as opposed to knowing what it really takes to get from where they are to where they want to be. So what were your biggest challenges as an early stage entrepreneur? What did you face early on in your journey? And how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, it's a really good point, Carol, because similar to what you described, I was measuring myself by impossible standards as well. I was part of mentoring programs and communities where there was a, these amazing case studies of hugely successful, almost overnight success entrepreneurs. And it was so deflating to, and really it was, I felt insecure and I felt unworthy because I could see these people amassing this amazing level of success. And here's little old me trying and working my ass off to try and create even just a, a smidge of success and seeing this huge gap. And this is why so many entrepreneurs give up because they, they actually don't realize how much effort was really involved and what was the struggle to get them from where they were to where they are. And this is why as a leader, as a thought leader, as a business leader, as a wealth leader, I believe in complete, honest leadership, brutally honest leadership. I openly express all of my failures, all of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made from the point of being on the verge of bankruptcy to inheriting substantial amounts of bad debt from my father to being spendthrift and not being able to defer gratification and ultimately living hand to mouth for many years and, do, and kind of telling my clients, do what I say and not what I do. And it was through owning those experiences and sharing them openly and honestly that I was able to take the power that those negative experiences had over me away and then turn them into positive. So I think the, the big thing for entrepreneurs is you need to stop measuring yourself against anyone else. My mantra is you need to be better than you were yesterday, but not as good as you're going to be tomorrow. And with that in mind, for my clients, I developed five stages that business owners fall into because I've been through these five stages. I'm, not, I'm, I'm at stage four. I haven't got to stage five yet, but I'll talk you through them, Carol, because I think this is critically important. Not enough people talk about this. So stage one is what we call financial battle. This is where you're in a business where your expenses exceed the income that you're producing. And you're either burning through cash 
or you're having to use debts in order to cover that shortfall. You're kind of drowning financially. Stage two is financial comfort. This means that you break even. You're treading water. You've got enough to make ends meet, but there's nothing left to plan or invest with. Stage three is financial growth. This is where you've got surplus. Your business is profitable. You've got surplus in your household and you're investing that surplus. You're saving, you're paying down debt, you're building wealth, potentially all of those things. Then we've got financial freedom, the highly coveted financial freedom. But it's a term that's thrown around. And I simplify financial freedom as two things. One, you own your home and it is paid off in full. And two, you have enough passive income So income that you produce as a result of not having to work for it, that you can choose what you do with your time. And then stage five is financial abundance. This is where you have more than what you need and you can give back to family, friends, charity, causes that you believe in. So by understanding this, you no longer measure somebody who's at stage five by you at stage one. Like at stage one, all you've got to do is get to stage two. You can't go from one to five unless you win the lottery. Do you have what it takes to know what to do with it? 100%. Those people aren't trained and prepared to inherit that money, which is why most of them lose it. So it's about building what we call that money muscle memory and getting yourself focusing on just getting from stage to stage. And this is what makes entrepreneurship fun again. And more so, pursuing entrepreneurship for wealth creation is what we should all be doing. Absolutely. And in terms of the challenges that you faced early on in your journey, what were the ones that you remember the most that you believe are a great lesson that you can pass on to early stage entrepreneurs? My biggest lesson was that when I look back on my entire life, I've always had characters of being an entrepreneur. I was like the last person to the party, right? And like I I remember hustling, selling my toys door to door at three years old. Um, and I remember my mum uh, coming in a police car thinking that I'd been abducted by a kidnapper as I was going door to door selling my toys. And I couldn't fathom what she was going on about. And I was always wheeling and dealing. But I, I, it never occurred to me to be a business owner. And my first business actually came out of a necessity. I was still working as a financial advisor uh, for a big bank. My old man was the primary breadwinner of his household. I'd moved out. I was independent, but he had a new wife who was a homemaker and he had a young school-aged daughter who was only about five years old at the time. And he was making good money, but he was always very much hand-to-mouth as well. And he was diagnosed with stomach cancer, very severe stomach cancer. He shouldn't have survived. He did. But his income come to a grinding halt. And very quickly, I inherited the responsibility of the household. Try and save the family home try and pay the bills, try and put food on the table. And at the exact same time, I went through my first corporate restructure. And I was lucky to save my job, but I lost 20% of my income overnight like that. And my brilliant idea was to go and start a business. It was a men's fashion business called Siete Clothing Co. And I'd never designed a piece of clothing in my life. I'd never sourced any, any products for overseas. I'd never dealt with logistics. I'd never built an e-commerce store. This business was not only made out of necessity, but it was made as a, a, a mission to prove my ego right, that I could do whatever I wanted. Now, not only was it hugely capital and labor intensive, learning all of these things from scratch, I remember just spending countless hours um, trying to get this business off the ground, but it was exhausting. 
because every single action I took in that business was hard work. And it wasn't enjoyable work. I hated the business. It was purely pursuit of profit. And that's exhausting. So I did this for years and we had some success. We got it to a multi-six-figure business, but I got myself into multi-six figures in bad debt as a result of trying to save the family home, trying to keep the, the wheels turning financially, trying to grow this business that was hugely capital intensive. And I go, I hate this business. Can I do this for the next 10 years? And I'm like, no. So I had a choice. My first choice was declare bankruptcy. Throw in the towel, hit the reset button, wait for seven years to clean my record and start again. Wow, what a great financial advisor I would have been, right? Um, the, uh, the bankrupt financial advisor would have been my name. Or I, what, I create a new chapter and I commit to earning my way out of that situation, but doing it the right way and proving my ego right, but with congruency. And that's what I did. I donated all of the stock to charity, hundreds of thousands of dollars of stock. I needed to clear my conscience. I needed to close that chapter the right way because I did it for the wrong reasons. I closed down the business and I committed solely 100% of my effort to wealth coaching. I started my wealth coaching business and then within 12 months, I'd created a seven-figure business. I'd worked my way out of all of the debt and then now I've been able to build a $5 million business with a team of 30. We've got 800 clients around the world. Uh, I've been able to spend nine months traveling around Australia. I've just bought our dream home and uh, I've been able to create financial freedom at 32. So I've gone from the darkest steps to being able to create financial freedom in a very short period of time uh, with no silver spoon. If you're loving this episode and would like to listen to the other episodes on this podcast, visit leadershipactivators.com slash podcast or look for Leadership Activators in your favorite podcast app. If you would also like to be part of the conversation, join the Leadership Activators Facebook group and get exclusive access to our live Q&A session to directly ask your burning questions to our guests. I absolutely love how is it that you've used your challenges to propel yourself forward and learning your values through failing and the pain it created when you thought that that was the way and then you realized it's not, which is awesome. Talking about values, what is the top value that you have at the moment on your values list? The big one for me is that life for me has been a battle with ego. And I inherited that from my father. Uh, my father was a very bright man, very smart, very well read, general knowledge off the charts. He just knew unbelievable things, but never committed it to anything with any fault, real dedication. So he was a serial dreamer driven by ego with no real reason to have that ego. And I inherited that for a very long time. And the biggest shift that I ever made was as a result of some advice that he gave me. And I'm not sure the reason why he gave me the advice, but it's been profound. And my old man survived his first bout of cancer, but then had aggressively uh, a, a cancer come back, uh, pancreatic cancer, which is fatal in the vast majority of cases, deteriorated very, very quickly at the age of 66. He was given weeks to live. And as he was laying there on his deathbed, he gave me a piece of advice. And he said, Jackson, every person in this world has two lives. And your second life starts when you realize that you only have one. And taking that advice, I committed myself and my values to being a lifelong student. 
Because being a lifelong student in all respects, in life, in business, in relationships, in wealth, you can't have an ego. Because being a lifelong student, a true lifelong student, means that you've always got a, a thirst for knowledge, a curiosity for knowledge, a, a curiosity for improvement, which means you have to leave the ego at the door. Um, and it's something that I battle with every day, um, but it was the most profound and significant change that I've ever made that's impacted all of my value sets and the level of success that I've been able to create for myself and those around me. Absolutely love the, this value of being a long, like lifelong learner. Uh, it reminds me of the minus one, zero plus one rule of um, Frank Shamrock. I'm not sure if you've come across it before. I haven't, no. The martial art, yeah, the, the mixed martial artist champion who dethroned after, like just he walked into the championship and he dethroned a four-year worldwide champion. Um, and everyone was like, how is it that you've done that? And he said, that's very simple. I always had someone on my journey, the minus one person who I was teaching what I have learned. And um, I've always had someone with me on the journey who I was being their buddy, like accountability buddy, so that we can grow together and remind each other why is it that we're doing what we're doing so that we can hop back on track when we are slipping. And I always had the plus one person who's the person I'm learning from And exactly being a lifelong learner, realizing that there is always the next level and accepting that and that I will really never arrive. It's about really keep on growing and contributing back and having someone with me on the journey. And I absolutely love that. Um, so talking about the values, and I find that this is one that is a personal value to you and it has a lot of meaning to you. What do you believe are the values that you brought from your personal life into your business and how it's been playing out for you? Yeah. I've never been motivated by money. And when I look back on my mishaps around money, my mismanagement of money, my hand-to-mouth behaviors, um, it was because money was never the motivator. It was always lifestyle. And I've also come to realize that uh, as an adult, I was I've been diagnosed with ADHD and kind of like hyperfixation on things. And once again, there's always been symptoms there, but I just never, never really become uh, understood it. So it means that when I put my mind to something, I nothing would get in my way. But it was never finances. Like I had friends who were saying, "Oh, I want to get 20 investment properties, or I want to achieve this financially or that financially." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's fine. I just want to have a great quality of life." So. When I was able to realign my measure of success, my yardstick for success to be about, okay, let's get really clear on the lifestyle milestones that I want so I don't have to work because I have to, I can work because I want to, and I can achieve all of these amazing lifestyle things and have my cake and eat it too, then everything shifted for me. And that's the values that I brought into my business. So the values that I brought into the business were like, okay, if I'm clear on what I need to do to achieve my lifestyle, my dream lifestyle, and I can do the right thing then I will always be rewarded for it financially. Because there's so many people out there that money is the primary motivator and they sell their soul in the process. They end up in these golden handcuffs. And there's, there's typically always this epiphany moment where they get somewhere down the track and they have that moment where that clicks and they have deep, deep, deep regrets. And because they've compromised their values, they've sold out in just blind pursuit of money. And I never wanted to be that person. 
it's great that you actually found out about this early on on your journey because like you said a lot of the entrepreneurs find this out later on in their journey like oh i just wasted my time doing the wrong thing and it hurts it's so painful uh, so talking about how is it that you're helping service-based owners so there are different stages that you you summarized earlier and the way most entrepreneurs look at it again because at the beginning it's about money it's about am i a six-figure business am i a seven or am i even an eight-figure business so at what point do you typically start working with them or they start working with you yeah our sweet spot for our clients is when they're already at multi-six figures so they've got a proven business model they know what they do works. They know there's a market for it, but their business is a cash eating monster and they're working really hard. They're not paying themselves what they're worth and they're not seeing their money actually work for them. And what we typically do is we help them create what we refer to as a seven figure lifestyle business. Now, once again, trying to use my business as a way of, of, of projecting my values, we attract people who want to create a hugely successful business, a business that can operate without them a business that can allow them to leave a legacy, a business that has true value. And what we help them do is we help them work towards what we call the F4 framework. So we help them work towards creating a business that has $400,000 a year or more in profit. We don't care about revenue. It's all about the profit. We then want to create a business that allows them to work four days a week and 44 weeks a year. And then we want to also help them fast track their way to $4 million in net wealth. Now, this isn't just a love affair with the number four. There's some rationale behind this. Through having worked with thousands and, and having to, the ability to speak in front of tens of thousands and survey them around their successes and failures, at a point of $400,000 of household income, it becomes a point of diminishing returns. And it doesn't make you happier. There's, not, there's no significant abundance of additional opportunity. Sure, there's some people out there that have a higher lifestyle. They might drive a, a Porsche instead of driving a Lexus, and they might fly in first class instead of flying in coach. But largely, for more than $400,000 a year income, most people don't need it. And that gives us the ability to still have a really healthy surplus that we can commit to work for us. Four days a week and 44 weeks a year, gives you a three-day weekend every single week to recharge the batteries because we've been able to prove that there is a direct correlation to the time spent out of a business and the growth of that business. And having the ability to have two weeks off every quarter to enjoy time with your family, to go away on holidays, to pursue hobbies, interests, get, sets us up for the marathon, not the sprint. And the $4 million in net wealth should produce us circa $200,000 a year in passive income in perpetuity. So if we're still actively involved in our business, we now have $600,000 a year that we can make work for us. Or assuming that our home is fully paid off and the kids are flying the coop, $200,000 a year of passive income gives us a whole lot of opportunity. And then this is where you would, I assume, mentor people on how is it that they can find good investment opportunities to keep growing as they move forward. Exactly. What we help them do is we help them create what we call an investment operating system that helps people understand how to evaluate investment opportunities for themselves. Because so many people, particularly business owners, try and abdicate responsibility when it comes to their finances. They're like, oh, I'm not a finance person. I, I, don't, I can't do that. I don't know numbers. I'm numbers dyslexic. Uh, whatever the, the label they give themselves, you take care of it. No. We teach our clients the systems. We make it very, very simple. And we help them take responsibility for their money because where your attention goes, the energy flows. 
And we help them put their energy in the right places so they can drastically improve their profit and their wealth. Great to hear that. And I believe that there is always this word that you keep coming across, like success. I'm not successful. I want to be successful and that sort of thing. I'm wondering what's your definition of the word success and what does financial freedom mean to you in this context of success? Yeah, success, whenever I think about success, I always, once again, I think of my old man. My old man was hugely influential in turning me into the person I am today. And because he was so well-read and very wise, he said a lot of things that really resonated with me. And one of the things I remember him telling me as a kid, he said, Jackson, I live every single day and I guide my actions in this world to ensure that if you ever run into somebody that I know in the street, they always have nice things to say about me. I never want somebody to come up to you in the street and say, oh, your old man, Mario, he was a prick. <laughs> so that was his kind of, that was his compass, his moral compass. My definition of a success is the same, but it's amplified because I have a, a platform. So my aim here is to leave a meaningful legacy that lasts well behind my, my lifetime. My books, my IP, my thought leadership, the, the business that I create, I want to create a legacy that can last for hundreds and hundreds of years and impact millions upon millions of people. And with the same thing, I want those people to be able to say, Jackson, he made a meaningful impact in the world of wealth and financial freedom for people across the globe. And financial freedom for me is pretty simple. It's being able to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, if I want to do it at all. This is not about freedom because we all have freedom. And the concept of freedom is not free. Freedom comes at a cost. Everything has a cost. What I will try and create is financial choice. People have the financial means to choose to do something. And that's what's most important. Love it. You're touching on, on something that is so crucial. It's how is it that you're buying back your time to choose to do what you want to do, not what you need to do. And which brings us to the other biggest wealth, well, if you were to, 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 to talk about it this way, which is time. So it's always this battle, this constant battle between time and money, money and time. And it's on almost every single person I've met wish list. So I'm wondering when you look at your time with where you're at on your journey right now, how is it that you decide to prioritize certain things and let go of other things? How do you make the decision to say, yep, I'm going to invest my time in this. Nope, this is, this is going out of my schedule. Yeah. There's three stages we all go through, Carol. Um, not all of us are, uh, are fortunate enough to get through all stages, but it, this is the game that we play. First stage is trading time for money. And we all trade time for money. I don't care if you've got value-based pricing or, or profitable pricing or whether you're doing timesheets. We are all trading time for money if we are actively involved in the production of income. So the aim of the game there is to make sure that you can trade enough money for your time so you've got enough margin to then transition to the next stage, which is where we trade money for time. We buy that time back. And then we get to our third stage where we've bought all of our time back and we can start trading money for money, where basically we can compound money with itself. So for me, I'm at the buying time back. So in my second book, Secrets to Scaling a Seven-Figure Lifestyle Business, I created what we call the low-value time matrix. And I've actually turned it into an, a Google sheet. And essentially what I do once a month is I do a time audit and I put in all of the tasks that I've done over that month. And I categorize them as either high value or low value or love and loathe. 
And what that allows me to work out is based on how much I earn and the value that I produce for the business as CEO, what is my effective hourly rate for every hour that I invest into the business? I track the hours. So I have an annual budget of hours that I have to invest in the business and I track that and work out what each hour is worth. And secondly, I also track what every hour of my life is worth. And what that then allows me to do is to evaluate not only business activity, but but personal chores that I don't get enjoyment out of doing. And I can outsource those and use my money to buy back that time. So the reason why I have a team of 30 and we've been able to, we've spent a lot of time growing our team and our capacity is because I'm happy to invest some of my profits in buying back that time. And it's what's allowed me to create financial freedom at 32 and spend nine months traveling around Australia and also doing all of the fun jobs in the business. Yeah. You just delegated it. Like you, I love the system and structure that you created around auditing your time. And in a way that it makes sense to you, it's quick to do. And then very quickly, you know, what is it that you need to delegate so that you can up the value of your hour. Talking about team, which you just mentioned twice already in the conversation. So you have a team of 30 people. I'm wondering how is it that you are shaping your team members to become future business owners? Yeah, we're big advocates of practicing what we preach. So all of the wealth principles that we teach our clients, we get our team members to implement themselves, even our team in the Philippines. It's been amazing to see how they've implemented some of these strategies and tools and used them to acquire their own properties and be able to provide for their families and start investing and things that that never even crossed their mind. And there's so many businesses out there that deliver so much value for their clients, but they're not enforcing their team members to do the same. They're plumbers with leaky taps. The next thing is that we advocate, and one of the exercises we do with our clients is we get our clients to set an income target because most wealth principles are about shrinking yourself wealthy. It's like, okay, if I want to be financially free, I need to compromise. Bullshit. No. The only reason you have to shrink yourself wealthy is because you don't have enough financial means to do everything you want which means you're not earning enough income. So let's be entrepreneurial here and let's set an income target. And with each of my team members, we arrive at one of two situations once we do that exercise. It's either, hey, if you want to earn this extra income, I'm going to set your KPIs and metrics in the business to allow you to earn that income. Or if for whatever reason, you're not prepared to do that amount of work outside of the scope of your current role, I'm going to show you how to go and start your own business. And we've got team members that have got uh, sourcing businesses where they're selling products on, on, online, on social media. They've got uh, uh, we've had a team member that was uh, growing and harvesting pigs and selling them in the Philippines. Um, they had another one that was making uh, these, these little uh, kind of chilies that are wrapped in a pastry called lumpia. Um, and they were, she was selling those online and absolutely crushing it. Like, fantastic. This is brilliant. So we foster entrepreneurship. And the thing that we speak to about them about is we say, look, we wish you'd all stay and work with us forever. But the reality is that for the vast majority of you, Aureus as an entity is a stepping stone to get you on track for your dream life. So if for whatever reason, there's a divergence of those paths and your path is better served of you going on and doing something else, you will have all of our support and all of our mentorship to help you get there. And this is the reason why in four years, we've had three people resign. Mm. Wow, that's a very good reason. <laughs> I mean, why not? 
if you're growing and contributing back and thriving, why not? This is awesome. Exactly. What does the word leadership mean to you? Yeah. Leadership is about communicating a vision and bringing people together to execute on it as a collective. Um, I run my business as under the principle of rising tides lift all ships. Everyone needs to win. Like This is not a zero-sum game where if somebody wins, somebody else has to lose. There's infinite means and resources for everyone to succeed. And if we run business like this and we can communicate the big picture vision, we can get people excited about it, we can help translate that into a game plan and we can show people what role they actually play in bringing that game plan to life and support them to do the best possible job that they know how to play their role in that, And that's what leadership is. Um, and the thing that has allowed me to be successful in leadership to date, and I've still got a long way to go, I'm, I'm learning every single day, is that the thing that I, I've done very well is being able to communicate that vision and everyone's role in it. And also giving them the freedom to interpret it their way and allow them to just do what they do best. Because so many leaders out there have this belief that people are stupid. The people that are part of their team are inferior, they're not as smart, they're not as intelligent, they're not as capable, they need to be treated like children, they need to be micromanaged. And this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you treat people like that, that's how they're going to act. However, I believe that everyone is intelligent and everyone does things in their unique way and everyone has a, a zone of genius. And my job as a leader is to help those people uncover their genius if they don't know what it is and harness that superpower. And if, if they fail, it's my fault. Mm. Well, the whole responsibility, it's like I'm responsible for every result that I'm seeing is being created or not, which I absolutely love. And you've been saying so many times in so many different ways that learning is one of the biggest drivers for you and that there's always a long way to go. I'm wondering who were the mentors that have inspired you along the ways and what were the key messages that you are still carrying with you today? Yeah, I've had a lot of mentors um, over the years. I always try and surround myself with really smart people that I look up to and they've been informal and formal mentors. I'd probably say the most influential ones has been Dale Beaumont, who runs Business Blueprint. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine phenomenal business leader um, and a very, very smart person. And the big things that he inspired me is to create systems to win back your time, of being systematic with business success as opposed to just winging it. One of the other mentors has been Taki Moore. Taki is a good friend of mine as well. And I'm very blessed to my mentors are friends. And um, most of them have been friends before they've been a mentor. But Taki has shown me how to create leverage and how to stop allowing your ego to get in the way of business growth. Um, he's very, very chill. He doesn't do anything he doesn't like doing. Um, and he always said to me, Jackson, if you learn the shit jobs, you're going to do them forever. And so I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I, I need to stop learning the shit jobs. Um, so, and here's the thing, shit jobs for me is somebody else's dream job. So it's just about putting the right people in the right place. And probably one of the most powerful tools that I ever learned um, was from Marcus Aurelius. Um, and I've been a big uh, student of, of stoicism since I started dropping this ego thing, is the power of reflection. The best learning comes through reflecting. We all have a perception of what's going to happen. 
And most of us are so focused on the future that when something actually happens, we don't actually stop and understand how close our perception was to the reality. And if we visualize two overlapping circles, most of those circles are only just a little bit overlapped. Our perception is far beyond what the reality is. However, through stopping and reflecting and analyzing why those circles are not more closely overlapped, we can then start getting them overlapping really, really closely to a point where we have almost a complete ability to visualize what is going to happen because we set a realistic perception and then reality very closely mirrors that. And that's been my pursuit of, of kind of, of, of excellence in business and in life is about trying to get those circles to overlap. Absolutely love the way you're looking at it from a visual standpoint. It helps a lot understanding the importance of reflection and how we can drive it in a way that it can serve us to get the results that we want. Talking about this, what are the skills? Because you refer to what could be a shitty job for me, could be the dream job of someone else and vice versa. So we walk into the entrepreneurial journey with different skill set, natural things that we are wired to do really well and other things that we have to learn. Having said that, what is it that you found would be the absolute must-have skills, whether it comes naturally to us or that we have to learn them to succeed on our business journey as entrepreneurs? I think the number one skill is learning how to plan and execute on that plan. You need to be a master tactician in business because the problem is that most people don't plan because they've never been taught or they've set those unrealistic plans in the past so they don't want to let themselves down. So like, oh, I, I've set lofty goals in the past and typically they're more like dreams than goals and they don't achieve them. So they get disheartened by planning and they say, oh, I'm just going to give it a crack and then whatever happens, happens. But the problem there is that particularly in business, there are infinite shiny objects. And the thing about being a masterful tactician, about being a great planner in business is it keeps you on task. It helps you evaluate and have a lens to view the things that are going to help you execute on that plan to get you from A to B, but more importantly, the things to say no to. Because the more successful you are in business, the more you need to be able to say no. And learning how to say no, you need to have that lens. And, and Dale taught me this masterfully. I'd, I'd learned over the years to do a number of things, like how to plan your diary. That's an, a really important skill of how to, the things that are in the diary, like cash follows calendar. So the activity, if I look at someone's calendar, I can tell you how successful they are, just in having a glance at it. Then we need to understand, well, how do we, how do we manage your, your entire year calendar? So Dale showed me a methodology that he refers to as the boulders, rocks, pebbles, and sand of scheduling out the most important things, the boulders first and then planning out the rocks, and then planning out the pebbles, and then the sand flows around it, because that's how you get the optimal capacity in a vessel. If you put, And most of us are caught up in the sand. We've got all of these millions of grains of sand that really don't push the needle forwards, and then when it comes for us doing the pebbles, the rocks, and the boulders, there's not enough space for it. And then doing this at a macro level of having a plan in terms of the business, okay, well, here's my profit now. Here's where I want my profit to be in 12 months. How do I bridge that gap? Okay, here's my wealth. This is where I am now. This is where I want to be. This is how I bridge that gap. This is my time. And a simple calculation that most people should be doing is track the KPI of a time budget. So my time budget is really simple, Carol. I basically work out how many hours do I want to be working a week? So for me right now, it's 30 times by 44 weeks a year. 
So every single year, I have 1,320 hours available to invest in my business. Once that 1,320 hours is gone, there's no more work. That's it. So I have to make best use of the time I have available. And it's little things like this that are planning mechanisms that allow you to be a masterful tactician and use this lens to pick the right things that are going to get you where you want to go. What is it that's something that you're excited about at the moment that you are working on? I'm working on my third book at the moment called The Family Vault, How to Create Generational Wealth and Keep It. And it's an interesting project because this is part of my big picture vision. And my aim is that when I eventually leave this world, what I want to leave behind is my IP. Um, and that'll be in books and programs and, and other things that I can create. And one of the big nuts that really hasn't been cracked, particularly for successful entrepreneurs, is that entrepreneurs have created huge amounts of wealth, very successful entrepreneurs. But as a result, most of them have overinvested in their business and underinvested in their families. Like if you speak to many senior entrepreneurs, most of them will never say they wish they spent more time in the office, right? They're going to say, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I spent more time with my kids. Um, and my old man was a very hard worker. And even now after he's passed, I think of all of the questions I wish I asked him, the conversations I wish we had. And the problem is that we can pass money to the next generation, but if they don't have the values, they're going to blow it. And this is where this adage of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves comes from. The first generation makes it. The second generation spends it, and then the third generation starts again. So my mission at the moment with this book and other pro projects that I'm working on is to create an entrepreneurial operating system that allows successful business owners to not only pass their money, but to pass their value systems in a, in a constitution that they create with their family that allows their family members to become stewards of wealth for at least the next 100 years. Wow, this is an amazing way to look at legacy because this is a very big part also of what's next for entrepreneurs. You look at what is the legacy that you are leaving behind and most of them are clueless. Correct. So that would be an awesome blueprint to have a look at and see that how is it that we can do it in case we don't know what the hell it is. So uh, it's a great way for us to have a look at how is that we can leave a legacy behind. Talking about reading and books or perhaps a podcast, some of my guests shared podcasts. What is a podcast or a book that you've recently read or listened to that you would definitely recommend and why? Yep, my favorite books, I try and reread them all of the time. My first favorite book is Marcus Aurelius' Meditations. Um, and to think that Marcus Aurelius was around like thousands of years ago, right? Um, and wrote, it was the, the, the emperor of the Roman Empire at its peak around about the same time when the Aureus coin was around. And in his spare time where the Roman Empire was spanned across all of Europe and he was commanding these huge forces of individuals, controlling territory, managing commerce, dealing with all these things. And at night, he was a philosopher and he would sit down and he'd write about his life lessons. And the fact that his life lessons still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years on are still universally applicable, probably more so now than ever, um, is really, really profound. I would read that first. The second book that I would read is a modern version and interpretation written by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Phenomenal book. And he references Marcus's book. So it's important to probably read Meditations first and then read Ryan's book. But uh, it just shows that when you sometimes feel you're on the wrong path, 
the, the difficult road is often the most fulfilling one. And uh, sometimes you need to, to chase adversity in order to reap the rewards. And the ego, which you've, you've mentioned so many times in, in the conversation today. Yes. Like, uh, yeah, it's like pushing through and creating this relationship with our ego because it's like, welcome to the world of being a human being, right? So it. it plays out in different ways for different people. Love it. So what would be a 30-day challenge that you throw to our listeners, Jackson? A challenge that you believe will create a high impact in their life? Yes. So we've developed what we call the financial performance scorecard. It's the top 40 things that get in the way of you creating financial freedom as a business owner. We've done this with thousands around the world and the statistics are pretty scary. The average score is about 18 out of 40, which basically means that the vast majority of business owners are below average financially. What the challenge is, is to take the five minutes to do the scorecard in the show notes. Don't don't worry about your score. I don't care if it's five or if it's 35. I want you to look at the ones that you've answered no to and work out over the next 30 days, which ones can you turn to a yes and focus on that. And I guarantee you as a result of doing that, that will generate thousands, if not tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in real tangible cash for your business. Love it. So make sure to include the link to the scorecard in our uh, notes in the podcast notes so that our listeners can download it and have a go at it. It would be awesome. Thank you so much for offering so much value in the podcast. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, Jackson, today. And I look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm Carol Issa. And you've been listening to the Leadership Activators podcast. If you would also like to be part of the conversation, join the Leadership Activators Facebook group and get exclusive access to our live Q&A session to directly ask your burning questions to our guests. And if you're loving listening to this podcast, I'd love for you to write a review and leave a comment on what you've been learning and enjoying the most. I'm looking forward to being with you again very soon in the next episode.